from Philippians 1. Um, and uh, that's fine, because, no, it's not your fault, Val. But, uh, Joe, as we work through, we might have it up on the screen. And this is, this is rules for you. You need to pull your Bible out and work along with us, okay? Now, now Val, that's nothing to do with you. Nothing. That was a very good passage. I'm having a laugh out of the back that God's got a sense of humour and so should we. Uh, look, uh, I am preaching for the next couple of weeks and I never actually like to do this. I like to work out of a little series. Um, but often what happens when you just have a couple of talks, you think about the congregation and how you're going to rip into them and get them sorted out. And I want to tell you that... Uh, Today uh, and next week, I decided that um, I'd actually preach on some stuff that is affecting me right now. Um, And so any time that someone uh, uh, writes a talk, first and foremost what they should do is actually allow God's Word to affect them. And so uh, this this evening as I preach, I want to say to you that I'm actually preaching to myself and I hope that it's beneficial for you guys as we work through it, okay? Okay. We're going to to talk about something that Australia, in general, hates to even think about. In fact, we avoid it at all costs. We will do anything to make sure that we're comfortable rather than to move down the point of having this have, have to happen to us. And that thing is suffering, to suffer. I'm just going to get this out of the way. Um, So, and... In particular, as a Christian, to suffer for being a Christian. Uh, And for me, this leads to a whole bunch of questions about suffering. Like, uh, suffering for a Christian, why do we need it? Why do we even have it? Why does God even allow it to be? As a Christian, shouldn't we be without it? And tonight, I'm going to have a little look at suffering for your faith... And to do that, we're going to have a look at the letter uh, to Philippians, written by Paul. And at that time, Paul was definitely suffering. Suffering for telling other people about the gospel. Now, as a matter of fact, the, the reason Paul wrote to the Philippians here is because the Philippians had sent help because they they had heard of his suffering. And so Paul is writing this letter back to the Philippians like a big thank you letter, but also as an encouragement to them to stand firm in their faith. But as he writes this letter, he gives us some insight into his suffering and how it's affecting the people people around him and how he's dealing with it. And so... As I read through this passage, as we read through it tonight and look at it, there's some interesting things here that I believe we need to learn and to take on board. Now, there is a question that a lot of Christians ask, ask, but they do not want to know the answer to. They don't want to know the answer. They ask it, but they don't want to know the answer. And And the question is, if I'm a Christian, do I really have to suffer for my faith? Now, There are some churches and some people out there that would say, of course you don't. We will have no suffering now because we're a part of God's family after all. God's got our back. And if you're suffering, there's a fair chance that you are doing something wrong and God's punishing you and you need to repent and turn back to him so God can fix it up. Now, they're basing that partly on Old Testament uh, 
Abraham, uh, the family of God, and God blessed Abraham and made him very rich. But this is not a new answer. I don't know if you remember, but Job, who definitely was doing it tough, he had a friend there who was saying to him, Job, you must have done something wrong. You need to repent. However, that's not the right answer. If I'm a Christian, do I really have to suffer for my faith? Or will I suffer for my faith? And the Bible, the resounding answer to that question that we don't want to hear is yes. We only have to look at history and see what happened to the first disciples, the apostles. All of them, bar one, were executed and the other one was stuck on an island, prison island. Not not great living it up. And a lot of their deaths were excruciating. Why? Because of their faith. We only have to look around the world now to see people... Uh, being picked on right through to being killed and everything in between. Why? For no other reason than that they're Christian. All through God's word, we see and we hear of people suffering for their faith. And in fact, as Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy it, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, it can't be stated any clearer. Because Paul says to Timothy, uh, Timothy, he says, in fact, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't know how you feel when you hear that, but I cringe. You know, the answer to why this is happening, at one level, if we logically think it through, it's easy to understand what's going on. Because when we take a a full picture of the Bible, we recognise that the world has turned its back on God. We have decided that we are going to be our own gods and we're going to do our own thing. And God, who's here, we've turned our back and we're walking away in the other direction. For those of of us who are Christians, we have been graciously turned back to see our Father through Christ. And of course, we are heading this way, looking to Jesus, looking to our Father. The world is going this way, and guess what happens on the way past? What the heck are you doing? You're going the wrong way. Are you stupid or something? We get hurt. We suffer. And it's not as though we're the first to suffer, is it? Christ ultimately suffered. Uh, he, He actually states, don't feel privileged. You suffer, but I suffered first. And so let's head into this passage and let me start with a question. How would you feel if tonight the police rushed in here, picked you up, threw you in a cell with a fair chance that you were going to be executed? Now you're sitting there going, oh, that's not really possible, is it? But in the world today it is and it's definitely what's happened to uh, to Paul here. What would you be thinking? As I thought about this, I'm thinking, maybe I should have kept my mouth shut. What are you doing, God? What did I do to deserve this? Is it worth it to spread the gospel? 
Like, I feel like I've always got these scales going on here to go uh, gain versus pain. And so if the pain here becomes too much, well, God can't be in it, so I'm going to stop doing it. In fact, I'd like it like this. Hardly any pain. Everybody's learning about Jesus. And, and if, there's little, if there's a little gain for a lot of pain, well, we need, I need to pull out here. Well, let's have a look at what Paul is thinking Is it possible that we can just put the passage back on the screen? I'll just work my way through it. In verse 12, he says this. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Like right from the get-go, we see Paul's eyes are firmly fixed on Jesus. He's wanting to tell people about Christ. He's there, he has this complete understanding. Remember who Paul was, okay? He was the guy going the exact opposite direction, actually looking for people who were Christians to kill. And Jesus grabs hold of him and turns his eyes back towards him. So so he definitely understands what's going on here. And and he's there going, I love Jesus because he loved me first. And I want to love other people. He recognises he was on that path and he wants to actually grab hold of those guys and point them back to Jesus. It's not about himself. He's not worrying about where he is and what's going to happen to him. Paul is saying here that what has happened to him is a good thing. Not because of the suffering, but because the gospel is advancing He doesn't draw attention to the suffering. Did you notice that in that little verse? But to the people who are hearing the gospel. How is this happening? Because people are talking about it. Verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Not for himself, but for Christ. And so the gossip gets going, doesn't it? Did you hear about that bloke Paul? He's actually in prison because he wants to tell everybody about Jesus. Who's Jesus? Can you see how the gospel might be being spoken about all around the palace guard about this guy that's there? This isn't the only thing that's happening here either because because of Paul's suffering. Look at verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach God out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that every day, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. What's happening here is because Paul has been bold to preach the gospel, it's actually encouraged others to step up to the place to preach the gospel. Is that me? Is that you? Are we being encouraged? Yes, there's some people there that are doing it for the right reason. But there's others there that are doing it for the wrong reason. But Paul's here going, it doesn't matter as long as people are talking about the gospel. 
Just imagine if right now, out there in Mount Tambourine, across our community, people were just talking about Jesus. Wow, what a great conversation to be having. Whether from wrong motives or right motives, people are talking about Jesus. The gospel, the truth that comes here that we can speak into people's lives that save people from hell. That brings us back, turns our faces back to our Lord. That we can have a relationship with our God and call him Father. And that it's been spoken about courageously and fearlessly so that people will be saved. So how is Paul feeling about this? Obviously you can see that he obviously can see that God is using the situation to touch people's lives. How is he dealing with this personally? Well, verse 19 tells us, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And when you first read that, you think it's his deliverance from prison. But that's not what he's talking about. His deliverance is his salvation. He is saved and he is going to heaven. He can look forward to that. It's a little bit like when you're having a tough week at school or at work or at uni and you've got something really good on the weekend coming up. And so through that tough period of the week, you look forward to what's going to happen on the weekend and it helps you get through the week. Well, in a bigger scale as Christians, when we run into suffering and difficulties within our life, we should be looking forward to the day that we arrive in heaven when there is no more suffering. And it should help us through that difficult time, knowing that although it's difficult now, there is a time that will come because of Christ, because of our Lord, our Father, we are going to be okay. And it should help us through that period of time to continue on. Remember, right now I'm preaching to myself right now. And Paul knows that no matter what happens, he is going to heaven. Now, Paul's main hope here as he deals with this time of suffering, as he's thinking about it, you know, when I stopped and thought about this, if I was in this period of time and thinking about all the times over my life that I thought I was suffering, okay, there were things that came up there like, uh, how can I get out of this? I should get married. That would help. If I had a nice house, that would be great. If I could make more money, I'd be more comfortable. Let's have a look at what Paul's thinking. Verse 20. Eagerly, so this halfway through there. Eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. His hope here is it in all the, however he deals with this, that Christ would be exalted. That people will hear about Christ, whether he lives or dies. Paul then makes a statement here that puts this all into perspective. I'd say it's the key verse for Philippians. In fact, I'd say that this is a statement that Christians should live by 
We should, we should tattoo it to our hearts. And it's only short, so even someone silly like me can remember it. But it's, it's verse 21 there. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you hear what that's saying? Well, if you're struggling, this is a great thing about the Bible. Paul goes on and explains it a bit, what he's saying. Because in verse 22, he says, if I'm going, to, going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. In other words, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. If I live on, I'm going to just keep telling about Jesus because there is nothing better in my lo- what I could do with my life. How awesome is it going to be when we arrive in heaven and there's going to be all these people there because we got to share the gospel with them. I can tell you now, there are going to be some people as, uh, you know, this is probably not the old, uh, theologically right, but as we're sorted out goats and sheep, they're going to be standing over there looking across at me and going, why didn't you say something? I'd much rather be suffering and they looking at me going, why didn't I listen? He then says, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far, which is better by far. In other words, heaven is going to be awesome. Of course we want to be there. But he's convinced here that there's still more that God wants him to do. Why? Verse 24. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for the progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. He wants to do it so he can help them grow in their faith. I was talk- after this talk this morning, I was talking to a few older people there. My mum always used to say, oh, I wish Jesus had come back. I wish I could get to heaven. And as a younger guy, I go, hang on, mum, I'm not, I've got, I want some things to do here. But as I've got older, I understand that now. Can't wait for heaven. I think the challenge for us as we get older is not that we're not looking forward to heaven, it's that we live now. But God will take us when he's finished with our work here and we need to get on with it. It's a hard lesson to run the race to the end. And this is what Paul's saying. There's still more for him to do. As I read this passage, there's so much that came out for me and here's a couple of things that I feel like I heard that I feel like it would be helpful for each other. One, if you're a Christian... You ready? You're going to suffer. And if you're not suffering, well, it's probably because your Christianity is hidden. In other words, you're scared to be hurt. You're trying to be comfortable. The world is moving this way. We as Christians should be standing here and actually reflecting Christ into the world as they're coming towards us to persecute us. And yet often we curl down and the world goes past There's going to be suffering. But God can use that suffering to advance the gospel. In other words, as we shine, as we stand up willing to tell people about Jesus, God's 
reflection will come and he will be exalted. People go, why are those people going that direction? And some will turn and God will graciously open their eyes so that they might follow him and find forgiveness in Christ. Like we only, Paul has hundreds of examples. One of my favourite is that scene that Paul is, um, he's got this crowd that's going to kill him. Like seriously, they want to kill him. And the soldiers have grabbed him and they're taking him up the steps. And Paul goes, hang on, hang on, wait, 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 wait. I just want to say something. And he turns around to this crowd that wants to kill him and he shares the gospel with them. Now, that, that's crazy. But he, it was too good of an opportunity. He's on top of the steps and there's all these people who need to know about Jesus. He certainly wasn't thinking about himself there. And we have examples uh, in Townsville, uh, young Esther Staines, uh, who's no longer Esther Staines, she's married, which is Graham and Gladys Staines' daughter. Um, I, I don't know if you know their story, but they were Mishos that were in India looking after uh, lep- uh, people who had leprosy and sharing the gospel. And there were people there who heard that they were sharing the gospel and were disgusted with it. And one day when Graham and his sons were heading home, they jumped, they ambushed and poured petrol over the car and burnt them alive. Gladys and Esther stayed in that country for another five years telling people about Jesus. Why? Because Gladys knew that she could forgive them because Christ had forgiven her and that these people needed to know Jesus. You can't tell me there's not suffering there. One of my favourite youth group stories is James' story. He wasn't a cool kid. But he came to youth group one night and shared a story about um, at school he was beaten up because he said he was a Christian and he was beaten up by a bully at school. And at the end of being beaten up, he got up off the ground and he thought, what would Jesus want me to do? And he walked over and he put his hand on the bully and said, look, I just want to let you know that I, can, I forgive you because Jesus can forgive me. That next Sunday, James was at church. Oh, not James, the bully was at church. James was there too. And James goes over to him and says, what the heck are you doing here? And the bully said, I want to know about this Jesus because if he can forgive you, I want to know how he could possibly forgive me. You see, I I recognise as I say these stories, there are good stories and there's time where we don't. The apostles obviously were crucified in the end. Not everybody wants to, to know Jesus and change. But for those people who do, the bit of suffering we have compared to the insurmountable, glorious glory of heaven, you can't compare those two. We need to be content no matter what happens to us. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and not on the world. We need to be content in all situations, remembering that we can't lose as a Christian. We can't lose. And if you're not a Christian here today, you are heading this way and that is nothing but loss down there. The only win is when you have God in your life and that can only happen through Christ. And as Christians, we know that to be true because to live is Christ and to die is gain. We've already won. Nobody likes to suffer. I definitely don't. But because of sin and the sin in this world, selfishness has crept in because of people, we do. And as Christians, we should not be afraid to suffer because 
others can come to know Christ because we stand up for Jesus. And as Christians, we should have contentment, not because of what the world offers. And I know I'm guilty of this. I'm eyes fixed on Jesus and then I see something and I, oh, that looks good. Next thing I'm getting dragged off down the path of thinking I'm going to get contented something in this world. No, the only contentment, the glorious contentment that we have that we're going to be okay is only found in Christ. So let me finish with words from from Paul to the Philippians later on in this letter. A guy who truly knew what suffering was. Philippians 4, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learnt the secrets of being a sec, sorry, I've learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he was willing to suffer that he came from heaven, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He didn't need to do any of that, to come into the slop of the world and to live here and to put up with all the suffering that he had to and then to die on a cross so that we might be able to call you Father. And Lord, I pray that as we think on these things, the true, the true glory of the gospel, the wonderful news that we have that we're saved, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you and recognise that the world's going the other direction and there's going to be some suffering on the way through. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give us the strength to stand up, to rely on you and look for your strength in all situations, that our contentment would be found in you and not in the, of the things of this world. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you that our place in heaven is set for those who are Christians. And Lord, I thank you that you have gathered a family that we can call each other brothers and sisters through Christ. For Jesus' sake, amen.